This podcast is for general educational and entertainment purposes only and should not be considered medical, practice management, legal, investment, or other professional advice. No one should act or refrain from acting based on this podcast without obtaining appropriate professional advice. Initially, the thinking was, well, uh, we should really be working with residents uh, or maybe we should be working with medical students. I think that is also very important. But if we really want to kind of uplift the entire uh, workforce within uh, me- the medical field at large, each one of our uh, organizations can start a little bit earlier. Uh, the return on investment isn't going to be immediate, so we have to all be patient uh, when we do this. But I think the outcome uh, will definitely uh, be substantial uh, if we work uh, together on this effort. Welcome to Gastro Broadcast, presented by Gastrologics, UGI-specific group purchasing and business development partner. I'm your host, Dr. Michael Weinstein, and today I'm talking with Dr. Bishar Omri, who is an international leader in GI biology and physiology. Dr. Omri is Senior Vice Chancellor of Academic Affairs and Research at Rutgers University Center for Advanced Biotechnology and Medicine. He received his PhD in chemistry from the University of California in San Diego and his medical degree from the University of Miami. Dr. Omri did his residency at UC Irvine and his GI fellowship at UC San Diego. He served as chief of the division of gastroenterology and hepatology at Stanford University and as chief scientific officer of the University of Michigan Department of Molecular and Integrative Physiology. Dr. Omri is president of the American Gastroenterological Association and has been a longtime AGA leader most notably chairing the AGA Institute Research Awards panel and serving as editor-in-chief of Gastroenterology. Uh, Dr. Omri, again, thank you for uh, helping me with this gastro broadcast. Um, You obviously have had an illustrious career so far and probably just feeling like you're getting started. But uh, going back, uh, what do you think influenced you to pursue a career in gastroenterology? Well, Michael, first of all, thank you so much for this opportunity. The, the way that I ended up in, in GI, uh, it, it's kind of a circuitous route. I would not recommend it uh, in general because uh, I ended up going to um, graduate school first. I, I was interested more in chemistry. Uh, you mentioned my major as an undergrad and also in, uh, in graduate school. Um, and uh, as I did my graduate work at a PhD, I beca- became more interested in biology, and that's where I decided to uh, uh, throw my, you know, apply to medical school. The problem for me was my GPA in undergraduate school wasn't so good, um, so it took me a couple of times to apply to medical school. And the school I really wanted to go to was University of Miami. At, at that time, they had a PhD to MD program, which was a two-year program. So I thought it would be, you know, it would be uh, efficient uh, if, if one could finish their uh, MD in two years. So I went that route, but because the uh, the medical school is so short, you have to make up your mind very quickly within a year what uh, specialty uh, you want to get into. Uh, so I was really torn between surgery and internal medicine. I like I like the aspects of surgery. You kind of go in, you fix it, and uh, and 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 you take care of the patient. Um, so I ended up uh, doing a schizophrenia thing. I applied to both surgery and internal medicine uh, at the same time. So I had to get letters from my surgery attendings and letters from uh, my uh, uh, internal uh, medicine attendings, and um, I ended up ranking like you know one, two, three was maybe surgery. Four or five was medicine, different different uh, 
uh, programs. As time went on, I, w I was um, disappointed that, that I ended up matching in medicine because I actually liked surgery more. And I ranked the University of Miami surgery program as number 10. And the, the uh, chair at the time said, what, what happened to you? Where, where, uh, we didn't, uh, where did you end up? So I apologized and uh, I thought I'll, I'll apply to surgery again. He said, well, we'll give you a slot. I, I drove co uh, you know, coast to coast to start at UC Irvine, but I fell in love with internal medicine. Not only that, I fell in love in GI because I happened to do a rotation. So I had to write this, you know, uh, apologetic letter to the chair of the University of Miami, uh, yet again, apologizing. And uh, that's how I ended up uh, in, G in GI. And, and I've, I feel so blessed to be in this just fantastic specialty. I would recommend it to uh, anybody interested in medicine. Well, I, I appreciate that. It's uh, it, always interesting to hear how all of us ended up in this field. Uh, you also have ended up at Rutgers. And I, I see, obviously, you had a lot of West Coast experience and a lot of warm, beautiful weather. Uh, what, draw you, what drew you to Rutgers? So um, if you notice, uh, and you said, you know, I, I moved slowly to the East Coast. So uh, I was on the East Coast initially because I went to undergrad uh, school at jo uh, George Mason uh, University. It used to be called George Mason College of the University of Virginia uh, when I first was there. Uh, and then after two years, it became a state uh, independent uh, institution. Um, so uh, when I moved even from, you know, uh, going to a university in Palo Alto, uh, when I moved to Michigan, people thought I'm, I'm crazy. Uh, but actually, Michigan is just a fantastic uh, place. Um, uh, Rutgers offered an opportunity that um, where it's a top institution. And I, and I felt like I would have an opportunity here to, you know, sort of do what I can to make an impact uh, both on the academic and the research side. Um, uh, and um, as you know, the academic and research uh, are really uh, intertwined. So the nice opportunity here at Rutgers is that it offers me so, uh, opportunity to kind of blend the two together and, you know, kind of work with others to uh, develop uh, programs. So uh, plus I'm closer to where my mom is. She lives in Northern Virginia area. My sister also lives there as well. So there, there's a number of reasons, Michael. Oh, that's great. Now, I, I know, obviously, I'm on the governing board of the AGA, and I am very familiar with the initiatives that you have championed, one of which is a summer internship program for undergraduate students of color who are considering a career in medicine. The internship would introduce students to the clinical and academic aspects of a career in gastroenterology, while also providing mentorship and networking opportunities. And you've been an outspoken champion for increased diversity in medicine. Can you tell our listeners how you feel diversity can help improve patient care? So, you know, the, the diversity of, uh, of caregivers really permits a better care of a diverse patient population, uh, which is what, what we are. What, this is what it is currently in the United States. It also, I think, provides um, a sense of uh, belonging and purpose uh, to all of us. I mean, uh, being a physician, uh, a provider, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity to uh, um, take care of people, uh, the other thing also is it allows uh, the uh, provides cultural competence. So if you have diverse group of providers, those who are in different, let's say, ethnic backgrounds and so on, they can really relate. They can understand different cultures and so on. So I think they can be much more effective uh, as uh, providers. So so these are just a few things that kind of come uh, come to mind. Can you share any data on diversity in gastroenterology? What do we know of the makeup of the current GI community? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So uh, uh, we work together uh, 
uh, a number of us, uh, Michael, on the, on the uh, AGA uh, governing board, uh, and there is uh, a commentary that uh, was uh, published in the November uh, issue of Gastroenterology, became available online uh, in, in July. This is November of uh, 2020. And it's, uh, it's open access, so anyone can really access it. So um, those who are interested, uh, certainly it, it would be, I would encourage uh, the listeners maybe to, to just browse uh, through this. Um, one of the uh, data that's uh, provided uh, in this commentary is um, uh, numbers uh, in terms of, for example, um, U.S. gastroenterologists, what is the distribution of uh, whites versus blacks, African-Americans, Hispanic, uh, and other um, uh, underrepresented uh, minorities uh, in the United States. And if you look at, at those numbers, and I'm giving you approximations here, uh, in terms of uh, whites, for example, the population is about 60%, whereas U.S. gastroenterologists, it's also about 60%, so roughly a one-to-one -one ratio. But if you look at blacks, African-Americans, the population is roughly 12 uh, or so, 12.5%, uh, uh, but the, um, the percentage of uh, uh, gastroenterologists uh, uh, in this uh, group is about four uh, and a half uh, percent. If you look at Hispanics, for example, it's about 18 percent in the population, 17 to 18 percent. But the but the percentages uh, of gastroenterologists is it's about um, six and a half uh, or so percent. So proportionately, for blacks, uh, African Americans, and Hispanics. Uh, they are underrepresented, in fact, uh, as gastroenterologists in our country by about roughly a, a third. So we need to almost triple the numbers if we want to be on par, uh, for example, with uh, with uh, the numbers uh, in the population. And this is for gastroenterologists, but also if if you look, for example, at uh, uh, our um, trainees, uh, the numbers are very similar. Uh, if you look, for example, uh, our staff within the AGA, we have roughly 105 uh, staff. Uh, depending on on the minority, also we are underrepresented. Uh, but but uh, but the AGA overall does I think a very good job in terms of uh, its um, recruitments for its staff. If you look at our committee members uh, within the AGA, there's about 18 different committees. Uh, also, these are underrepresented uh, as well. So, but uh, but again, as part of this effort uh, that we've undertaken, we as an organization at the AGA, and you've been a, a big part of this, um, we we are. We've become much more proactive in making sure that uh, we are m uh, mindful uh, or paying close attention when we're recruiting, uh, whether it's for leadership positions, for committee members, for staff, uh, and, and so on. So over the last year or so, you've had an opportunity to lead the organization. What specific projects at AGA are you working on now? Well, I'm glad you asked this question, uh, Michael. Uh, so one one of the major undertakings that the AGA has um, uh, initiated was uh, uh, something called the Equity uh, Project. And that started back in, uh, in June of uh, 2020 by establishing a task force to look at, uh, it's a self-reflection uh, of uh, how, how has the AGA been uh, addressing uh, uh, equity uh, within its organization, and also with, uh, how it, uh, uh, this is inward, but also outwardly as well. And this relates to the uh, commentary that uh, uh, I mentioned to you that uh, you, uh, other members of the governing board and myself uh, were uh, involved with. Um, so that task force did its job incredibly well, and now uh, it, it has been transformed to a so-called uh, equity project advisory board. And the goal of this board really is to, uh, to is to follow on the regular intervals what the AGA has been doing, what the outcomes have been in terms of this overall equity project, um, 
this could probably involve an entire interview, but maybe I can uh, suggest that those who are interested uh, of the listeners can uh, just check out uh, AGA and Equity Project online. There, there's all kinds of information uh, that's there. And I'm very proud that as an organization, we've taken a lead role within, uh, I would say, all the medical uh, specialties and subspecialties in, in uh, advan advancing this uh, important effort. I know other organizations have done it, but uh, I'm very proud of how the AGA has uh, done this. So thanks for asking this question. Uh, you're, you're welcome. Well, I am certainly one of those physicians who have to admit that I was unaware of the degree of the disparity that we had in gastroenterology. And we know it takes a long time to turn a student into a doctor, into an internal medicine specialist, and then into a gastroenterologist. It's a decade or more to do that. What do you think the GI societies can do uh, to take a leadership role in ensuring that we're not talking about this pipeline problem uh, 10 or 15 years from now? Yeah, I think the pipeline uh, problem is, is really uh, critical. Uh, it's almost like, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, climate change and, and trying to deal with it. It's not going to, it's going to get worse and worse uh, as time uh, goes on. So we really need to address this um, and uh, of course, as you said, I mean, it takes time to actually uh, uh, look at the uh, output of, of all these efforts. But but the sooner we start, the better off we're going to be uh, years uh, down the line. So I, I think uh, it's really essential, not just for GI, but I think for all the all the specialties and subspecialties uh, in uh, medicine, to take a, a proactive role by uh, working with with the pipeline. So it's important to start. Uh, at high, even at high school, but but let's say the next step obviously would be uh, college, to work with college students, get them interested in medicine and STEM fields, uh, and and so on. One of the things that uh, our society specifically initially the thinking was well, uh, we should really be working with residents, uh, or maybe we should be working with medical students. I think that is also very important. But if we really want to kind of uplift the entire uh, workforce within uh, me the medical field at large, each one of our uh, organizations can start a little bit earlier. Uh, the return on investment isn't going to be immediate, so we have to all be patient uh, when we do this. But I think the outcome uh, will definitely uh, be substantial uh, if we work uh, together on this effort. Um, there are obviously lots of strategies, and, and I've certainly talked to groups around the country who are, are becoming aware of this issue, thanks to a lot of your work. Do you have any other specific strategies that you're focusing on in the near term to achieve your goals? Um, I think in, in, in general, um, I mean, my goals, uh, if, if you're talking, uh, referring specifically to, to our discipline, really are the, are the goals uh, of, the, of the AGA. Uh, and those are to uh, support basic uh, and clinical scientific uh, discovery. Um, th those goals, by the way, they, they apply to... Um, you know, uh, all of us, uh, all types of diverse groups, while paying attention, of course, that uh, we're uh, equitable uh, as we uh, uh, approach um, uh, our community. So one is uh, uh, scientific uh, discovery. The other is uh, the vitality and, and operation uh, of practice, uh, of our uh, practice of GI. And the third uh, important area is the uh, quality of patient care. And that's, uh, of course, can uh, be approached uh, uh, via education, uh, training, and also uh, guidance. The AGA does a fantastic job, as you know, in terms of providing um, uh, different uh, guidelines uh, in our field. Um, 
that are published in our journals and widely uh, disseminated. And the fourth uh, and final kind of uh, goal is to grow membership and also engage uh, the gastroenterology uh, community uh, at large. So, so those are the areas that um, I, I sort of uh, been uh, together working with the governing board, with the AGA staff who are absolutely fantastic, uh, try to advance uh, those four uh, goals using a, a variety of different uh, tactics uh, and strategies. Uh, you do, it, this is definitely an issue that requires a multi-prong approach. Uh, every, you have to look under every rock to find a way forward. If you were uh, talking to a group of medical students, what would you... Uh, like to tell them about a career in gastroenterology to entice them into our field? <laughs> uh, uh, I wouldn't tell them my story, that's for sure. But but the things that, that, that I would um, uh, emphasize uh, is that it's, it's a fun uh, specialty. It's absolutely fun. Yeah. I mean, how many specialties in, in medicine you get to work with so many different organs? Uh, maybe infectious diseases because uh, that could involve a variety of organs or maybe surgery, for example, as a general surgeon. I'm not, I'm not really picking on different subspecialties or specialties. But but for medicine, it's it's a continuity. You, you continue to see the patients. You continue to interact with them. Um, and, and that is so uh, a, a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, and also, it, it's really flexible. I mean, sometimes uh, people think, oh, if you go into GI, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a procedure-oriented specialty. You cannot really work uh, uh, part-time. But, but you do. You can work part-time. You can work full-time. So there is a lot of flexibility. And, and, um, and part of flexibility also is that it's still uh, a subspecialty uh, that is highly in demand. So I think there's, there's a lot of opportunities uh, there. It is uh, uh, continuing with the F theme, I guess, fun, flexible. It's also financially rewarding um, uh, in, uh, in many ways. But most importantly, it is fulfilling. And that's the part that I think that I would um, highlight uh, to the medical students. Uh, you you are uh, reward, whether it doesn't matter whether you're uh, in uh, a practice setting, whether you're in academia, uh, whether you're in research, um, there, there's so many, it involves, as I, I mentioned, many organs. Uh, there's a lot that we still don't know about if somebody's interested from a research perspective in terms of therapeutic approaches, uh, device development, drug discovery. So there, there's really uh, so much to do. So uh, those would be the kinds of things that, uh, that I would kind of try to uh, highlight. And I would tell the students, look, check it out, uh, get involved. Uh, uh, try to network with, with a practice group. Maybe you can do some uh, an internship or uh, do a, uh, a summer um, kind of um, uh, experience with uh, in research uh, that's involving GI. Once you get once you get that bug, uh, it's going to be that's it. I think uh, you, you're likely to be hooked. Well, I really appreciate those thoughts. I can tell you that uh, certainly I'll be doing everything I can do to help you further these goals. And I think along those lines, I think we're hoping to help push out your comments to younger students, to people in medical school and people earlier in, in uh, internal medicine fellowships to see if we can increase the numbers in gastroenterology. So I wanna thank you for joining me uh, and uh, I will see you soon. Thank you so much, Michael, a pleasure. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Gastro Broadcast. Find new episodes through Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast fix. For information about our hosts, guests, and supporters, visit gastrobroadcast.com. 
produced by Steadfast Collaborative.